As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and ever in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Robin Arnott, current CEO and lead designer at Andromeda Entertainment. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Robin. How are you? Hi, Paul. I'm doing pretty great. Good to hear. It's crazy time of the year. It is. It's a crazy time of the world right now, but I live in a cabin in the woods outside of Austin, so um, it's... And apparently I have incredibly fast internet here, so it's um, uh, pretty much the best place to spend the apocalypse. I was going to say, you're living the best possible life given the current circumstances. Yeah, yeah, and working on something that is extremely meaningful to me, so... Uh, that above everything is is um, best possible life given the circumstances. Win-win. So this is Dev Diary series where we talk to developers from all around the industry. They share their experiences and stories and basically everything that led them up to this current point in time. But Robin, before we get to your time in the actual industry and your career in games, let's rewind a little bit back to some of your first gaming experiences when you were first exposed to games. What were some of the first games that you ever played oh, that you recall wow. i know i know yeah. that's it's it's a bit of a deep dive going back into the catalog there but uh, it is it is anything it's, to it's a really beautiful exploration because it's like those are formative years for me and formative experiences and um you know i loved i think one of my youngest memories i had a game gear when i was younger yeah um, and uh, i loved sonic the hedgehog you know i played a lot of sonic the hedgehog i played a lot of i remember when i would get a new game on the game gear it was like such magic you know it was like um this is a whole new world opening up for me and there was a i loved the sonic universe i've since tried to to play it again and it's it's practically for me it's kind of practically unplayable now it hasn't <laughs> aged very well but um um I loved that world. I loved the Sonic world. It was just so magical. And I remember playing a, uh, it was like a Mario Kart like that was Sonic the Hedgehog and, and Knuckles and those characters. And uh, I would, I was on vacation with my family and I just remember playing on the Game Gear with, with friends, other young people who, and it was just, you know, it's like, there's nothing. Swept I, up I, in it. Yeah, just swept up in it. I, th- I think for young people, I have a five-year-old here and we mostly try to keep him off screens, but it's. It is, I remember just how magical those worlds felt to me, you know. So I guess on that, and this is, uh, I guess, not quite uh, game dev career-centric, but given that you do spend a fair bit of time in, in games, funnily enough, um, and you do have a five-year-old there, what what is, for you, given that you were experiencing games so early, what, what do you think is kind of the right point to start to introduce children into into that sphere a little bit. I know obviously the technology itself has changed so much over the years, and that does make I think a bit of difference. But um, yeah, what's your stance I, on that? I don't really know. I think it's different from kid to kid. Um, I think Playing by you. Yeah, I I really don't want to. I'm not an expert on this, and I don't think I'm even yeah. very good at it. I don't think I've figured something out because there's there's such thing obviously there's such thing as too much screens and obviously yes. there's such thing as the wrong kind of content on screens absolutely and and also um i'm just remembering my own childhood and how magical those things were i i did have a game addiction for a little bit when i was a kid and um there was a time when it was too much uh, but that's not zero um yeah absolutely especially especially given the uh, the evocative quality of some of these fantasy worlds yeah, 100%. And um, just, I guess it's just a case of finding the balancing act. And as you said, each individual is a little bit different. Yeah, but I really don't know. It's not it's not easy to find that balance. No, for sure. So cycling back to you, uh, how did your gaming interests start to develop from there? Were there particular... So obviously we're starting with Sonic, but then how did, how did things start to develop from there? Were there particular genres or even franchises that spoke to you at all? It, it, for me, my I played a lot of games when I was younger and they were really magical and um, just magical. But eventually, it 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 just didn't really hold the stickiness for me. It didn't hold my attention. And yeah, okay. as I as I grew older, I stepped away from games for probably uh, most of my teen years. I didn't play that many video games. A little bit of Worms here and there with my friends, but um, 
uh, but I wasn't I wasn't on games that much like yeah. I was when I was a kid, and certainly through college and until I think my last year in college, I and I studied film, and I I I, w- I was doing a little bit of research into uh, avant-garde theater, and was so inspired by it, and and I realized that everything I loved about avant-garde theater was currently being explored you know the breaking the fourth wall stuff yes the, uh, yep. the the directly challenging people's um giving people challenging experiences and th- that this was this is exactly what was being explored then in the game industry and and that kind of reignited my my joy for games and and i had about 10 years of of really uh, uh vibrant game history to catch up on so i i played um Let's see. I played. I remember playing Shadow of the Colossus. Oh yeah, okay. About, yeah, about seven years after it came out, or six years after it came out, and um, maybe still holds up. Oh my god, so beautifully. Uh, and I've since replayed it, not the whole game, but I've since replayed some levels in the remastered version, and it, it absolutely holds up. Certainly better than Sonic the Hedgehog does. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's beautiful. I can say that. It's so evocative. It's patient. The pacing is is, it's 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 more than just a distracting experience. You know, it is a, an emotionally evocative and challenging, and very human experience. And that inspired me just a lot, um, and and it's been a journey since then. So obviously, you mentioned that Shadow of the Colossus was um, one of those games you really got got into after you returned to games and obviously, uh, you'd, you'd heard a little bit about what was going on and the changes and what what sort of experience was being produced but what sort of titles were you hearing about or discovering at that particular point that prompted that return to games or was Shadow of the Colossus one of those? Uh, there was no particular title I was hearing about. Um, it, it was just recognizing the potential of interactivity and the potential of uh, like as somebody who was in film I was struck by the limitation the limitations of the medium. Yeah, okay. And um, I I loved about certain kinds of avant-garde theater, the, the way that you could directly challenge somebody across the fourth wall and bring somebody onto the stage. And, and what is that like? And, and, oh, wow, you could do that with a video game. And you could do that in um, a number of ways with a video game. You know, there's sort of a baseline level of interactivity that people expect. Yep. You kind of interact with the game world through an avatar or what have you. And um, I just, uh, I guess I just realized that um, even in game space, there was so much flexibility in, in terms of how you engage in an experience and and which allows for the creation of incredibly meaningful experience of a, of a really vast type of interaction. Yes. So um, some of those some of those experiences you got into before you, I guess, found your way towards games. Uh, you you're at New York Uni, is that correct? Yeah, NYU. Yep. Was, um, yeah. And so you you were working in uh, like an engineering capacity, is that right? You were doing yeah, some work so in an engineering capacity on the side. I, I've I've uh, I fell in love with sound design, and um, I love how, as a sound designer, uh, nobody ever remembers the sound design of a movie or a sound design of a game. And, and that's kind yep. of by design because as a sound designer you're 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 kind of working uh on a really low level of the player psychology and and you have an opportunity to make connections meaningful connections between what a player is seeing and what they're hearing that because the player isn't noticing them can go um can kind of bypass your critical thought and go straight into your consciousness um so there's this yeah, okay. word called synchresis um which means the the joining of a visual image with a sound and the way that the sound brings meaning the sound and the image together create a shared meaning and as a sound designer there's all sorts of um, I remember having so much fun just like using sounds that uh, had a very particular uh, evoked something very particular you know because they're uh, uh, certain animal sounds you associate with the animal, or certain—that's that, a yeah, really good example. And then if you use that sound and you pitch shift it a little bit and put it into, you know, some machine or something, it it, it immediately evokes that animal in the machine. That animal. Uh huh. And so, it's really what interesting. I did 
It is, and people don't think about this unless you're in. But man, sound designers get super nerdy about this, you know, just like oh, <laughs> yeah, that sound there is this, and it's it's just this whole layer of nerdy psychological work that is happening in media all over the place and uh and i've always loved talking to other sound engineers about that i've kind of stepped away from sound design for the most part these days um but i still love that work and i still love the work of sound designers um, and so and, it's all and, about and, making that connection at the end of the day is that right basically it's about it making connections to, yeah. and it's about uh communicating with the player's subconscious um you don't really get to do that in the same way with visuals because i mean you do everything that you do has the potential to be evocative but sound in particular because it just goes unnoticed so you get to interface directly with a player's meaning making apparatus and their and the, their subconscious so i'll give you an example i, I one of my first games that i was a sound designer for was antichamber yes um now uh did you play antichamber uh, i've messed around with it i didn't play it in full but i i messed around with it a little bit yeah do you remember the sound design from that game I mean, totally appropriate qu- and okay if you don't. Qu- question, question without notice, but yeah, no, I, I don't recall no, and I think that's, yeah. I guess, the point in some. That way. is kind of yeah, yeah. It's so so antechamber. It's it's amazing to me that people don't remember the sound design for antechamber because the sound design for antechamber is so weird. It's you know the, the visual design on antechamber is also weird, uh, but you remember you remember the visual design on antechamber, I assume, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. General like big picture sort of style. Yes. Yeah, so like stark white spaces and so on. Yeah. Now, the sound design of that whole game is filled with uh, just really beautiful ambient nature sounds. So yep. you're walking around the this um, stark, stark, stark environment, and everything you're, you're painting hearing, a picture for me here. I'm starting to visualize it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's like you're walking through, and and the different environments in that game are characterized less by a. a, a a visual style and more by a, a sonic style so it's like you know you go to this part of the game and it's always raining and you hear frogs and you go to this part of the game and it's like there's there's uh, uh there's it's sound of beach and of waves washing up against the shore and like this yeah. part of the game it's just kind of like stark and snowy and windy and um but what what that was doing or, or what i was trying to do with that was uh communicate to the player a sense of safety and ease so that you would have more patience to to sit with antechambers really difficult puzzles and yep. and it's and it's still amazing to me that people don't remember the sound design but that's cuz it's that's cuz it's communicating with your subconscious even even though it is so weird you know it's so not what you expect when you see those images i'm definitely going to have to go back after this and uh, check out some of that footage and li- listen back to it and just try and jog my memory in that regard because yeah i mean especially now that we're having this conversation about it's really fueling uh, quite a lot of interest there for me oh yeah and there's also like even the the sound effects of the uh, all the footsteps you know are like your footsteps in mud even though it's just like stark white hard surfaces everywhere and and the uh the various gun sound effects are they musically harmonize with the world around you it's it's just like everything is designed to be nice um which is i think the opposite of what most game environments are trying to do they're kind of trying to uh i keep i talk about this uh, the the pattern of a kind of cortisol spike pattern you know they're trying to yep. give you that cortisol spike experience and then a break and then a cortisol spike and a break and um it's it's game developers have gotten really good at designing hellish worlds and those hellish worlds have a way of zooming your attention in yes and, and capturing your attention because because fear does that, and, and these cortisol spikes do that. They really focus your attention inwards. Um, but what I've gotten really interested in, and I think, I don't know if it started with antechamber, but um, certainly with my interest in psychology, is using game worlds to um, evoke and invoke, an ex- instead of a zoomed-in kind of consciousness, a, a more um, expansive, relaxed, paras- parasympathetic consciousness. Yeah, okay, that's, how can, yeah, that's really quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. There's so much stuff about video games that we so take for granted. And one of those is that video games activate your fight and flight, fight or flight system. As a general rule, yeah. For the as a part. general rule. And they, as a general rule, they do that. And that's kind of what we're drawn to games for, is to activate our fight or flight and to, to, to feel the drama of that. Yeah, um, and let the, those adrenaline spikes really take hold. 
I know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the the it, it's interesting to me. I, I think it's also that we we characterize those sorts of experiences as being able to hold our attention more because they they kind of they bypass uh, just by making you afraid or nervous or giving you that cortisol spike. Uh, it, 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 yeah. it bypasses. It, it really makes you focus in. So, but games they don't just have to do that. You know, a video game can invoke um, feelings of uh, deep expansiveness and and uh, and stillness. So that's that's what I'm currently doing is I'm using the the medium of game design to invoke the kind of qualities of stillness that you might otherwise get either through uh, meditation um, or uh, uh, or or transformative practices. Yeah, and it'll, and it'll be really quite interesting. Obviously, Sans Self is well as of the time that this podcast goes live. Uh, it's available today. <laughs> Hang on, it's April twenty third. The the game, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. The game is launching April twenty Sa- second. So twenty second. That's right. So same day in the future. As the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what sort of things are you looking? And I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but what sort of other you know, other aspects are you getting people to explore? through that platform well so i i look at it this way a video game is a um it's like an apparatus for uh it's a set of rules and when a person's psychology meets that set of rules there's kind of an inferred negative space there that you expand to fill um so you're playing a role generally when you're playing a video game and i had this insight um years ago when i was in a uh had a deeply euphoric a oneness experience um if you know what that is that's a basically a religious experience or a mystical yeah. experience um and i had this insight that the same systems that we use to invoke these cortisol spikes can also be used to um help a person relax sufficiently so that they can notice the profound stillness of just being alive so that they can notice their connection that is always present between them and everything else. It's almost so the game, inverse process of what games have been doing up to that point. Exactly, exactly. And that that moment, that, that, that journey inwards can be just as exhilarating as the journey outwards that we, that we associate with often most games. Often experience, yeah. Yeah, that we often experience in most games. And... Um, and not only can it be just as exhilarating, but it can actually be even more so because the kinds of uh, uh, insights and the depth of presence available in those experiences is so profound that when you come out of them, it's it's uh, it's just night and day. You know, they're so those experiences are so powerful. So, like a a quote meditative experience doesn't have to be like a boring at all boring. You know, it can yeah, be... Yeah, there's that stereotype about what it is, but it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be that at all. You know, like what I've done... So there are a few meditation games out there, and I think, I think frankly, I'm really not into most of them. Um, because okay. most of them are... What are is just, it about those? Yeah. It looks well, like you're answering that question, but... Yeah, yeah, is, they're, they're porting meditation techniques into a game and just using the game to kind of hold the discipline in place. So, you know, there's guided meditations. Guided meditations are great. But that yeah. those experiences, I don't think, add much of the gifts of game design to, uh, to the the practices of meditation. Uh, now, what I'm doing, and and what a few other game designers are doing, and I think we're going to see a lot more of these in the coming five to ten years, is uh, drawing game design inspiration from meditation practices and rituals and ceremonies and uh, 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 transformative practices uh looking even hypnosis you know just looking there's so much work that is being done right now understanding the brain and understanding um awakening experiences and mystical experiences and so on so taking all of that work not to mention the thousands and thousands of years of of spiritual traditions and and finding okay what there can serve can be part of a game mechanic and 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 then amplify that by you know interactive visuals and sound and so on and and what you what you have is i call them i call it a technodelic it's it is a an elevated experience that is uh that can shift you into profound states of consciousness uh just through play yeah okay 
and, and I mean that's a really that's a really cool concept and certainly one that and you're you're, you're of the mind that uh, we're going to see more of these styles of experiences over the over the next decade or so. It'd be really interesting to see what you're bringing via uh, Sandself that then I guess potentially might even be iterated on, refined or tweaked or changed or adapted over the journey as well. Um, yes, yes. It'd be quite I interesting. Sandself as as kind of a, a first of its kind. It's Tip really of the spear. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but this design space becomes I think pretty obvious to anybody who has an understanding of game design one and two has a uh, has a personal experience of of mysticism and and disciplines of meditation it just becomes I've spoken to so there are so many people working in this field behind the scenes you know um, but it's 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 not hit the mainstream yet and it's not hit the public yet but there's so much amazing work happening there and i think it's going to be really rolling out in the next five to ten years just these transformative gaming experiences that's really fantastic and i I quite look forward to seeing how that kind of develops then over those five to ten years um in terms of you and your career and obviously uh, a lot of your focus has been on sound self over the course of the last few years but uh you you did obviously work with (laughs) You, you did obviously work with uh, on Antichamber there. There's a few other credits that I'd noted down as well. There's uh, Star Wars The Force Unleashed 2 along the way. There's some Half-Life 2 related mods. There's uh, You were obviously working with Adam Saltzman there for a while. Uh, Stan oh, yeah. the Parable, Orcs, Orcs Must Die 2. Like, there's, there's quite a few credits along the way. Are there any particular favorites there? Or And obviously we've already spoken in a great level of detail about Antichamber itself, but are there any games that also you feel like really inspired your approach to game design? Because as you mentioned yourself, you you started with a focus on on, uh, sound engineering, sound editing and sound design, but it has broadened over the years Uh, you are currently the game director if if, and if I'm if I'm correct there Um, so obviously your your focus within this industry has broadened over the journey Um, what did those experiences over the journey really help you discover in in games that you weren't already focusing on I think the um, you know uh, uh, Alex Bruce uh, who was the lead only not lead designer was the only designer on Angel Chamber Um, (laughs) yep he he working for him was uh, a mentorship and i wouldn't have necessarily called it that at the time but i was i had stumbled into working with a genius of game design um i'm not sure he'd like it if i called him that but but it's true you know he's what it is he's a, a very very focused mind um a very very strange focused mind um he he has more um, fortitude and discipline in trying on ways of engaging with and looking at the world and his work than just about anyone. And the result of that is an incredibly disciplined mind for creation and creativity and the yeah. ability to, f- to create really unique focused work. Um, and it says something that you know he he made antichamber and then he basically quit the game industry because he he did what he needed to do said all he needed was, to say yeah said what he needed to say and you know it takes many people like a, a you know 40 50 year career to get to the place of saying what they need to say and then if that you know if you're lucky so i i am very blessed to have worked with and for um this this real brilliant genius of game design and that that taught me so much about the disciplines of creativity and the disciplines of game design um is there much yeah. you bring from some of those other experiences along the way so obviously i, I rattled off a few credits there is there anything else that you really take with you from those from those earlier days uh, oh, in yeah. your career oh, yeah that's so been much. really valuable it's, it's just um like i mean davy Reedon of uh, the stanley parable is a very good friend of mine and um and um uh, Adam Saltzman has been a, a dear friend of mine as well. And, and it's like the, these creative friendships have definitely, definitely inspired me. Like Davey and I were very close for not only the period that the Stanley Parable was, was happening, but also for most of Sound Self's development. You know, there was a there was this one year where um, I think uh, 
so Davy, one of Davy's games was nominated for the IGF, and Sound Self was nominated for the IGF, and uh, Eduardo Eduardo Ortiz, who's another sound designer that we were working with, like he had, I think I think it was everything, or it might have been a different game that of his that was nominated for the IGF. So we we yeah. had a, you know, these creative friendships, these creative relationships have have been so important to to my work. Otherwise, you get isolated, you know, and otherwise you. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, so working on Antichamber, one of the, the composer of that game then became the composer on Sound Self. That's uh, Siddhartha Barnhorn. So um, it's it's not only you know it's it's like a, a creative career is a community and is a uh, is a series of of mistakes that you all make together. And it I've learned like like I said, Antichamber and Alex Bruce was a real. Uh, mentorship and and course in the discipline of game design and i'd say the biggest thing for me of all these other games was was community like-minded community of really brilliant creative humble people i've, I've been i've spent some time in the film industry ne- never in very like prominent spaces I, I was just a film student um yep. but i got to know some people and i've spent some time in you know, hanging around the music industry um and i i in all of those spaces i have not seen the same quality of humility and grace as i've seen in independent game designers oh fantastic oh yeah and given given uh i guess the prominence that the the independent scene is starting to build over the recent decades i suppose um that's that's a lot of praise being heaped at them there that we're still sorry i say we like i'm actually a part of that thing (laughs) should have said that um but that 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 side of the industry is still so humble and still so um just trying to keep it low key and just we'll go about our work and we'll do the best we can possibly do and build some hopefully really fantastic products. I think that's awesome because it, it, it can be quite easy to, I guess, to have success go to your head. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And the, the people that I know, like Alex Bruce, oh, I think Alex Bruce really, really let success go to his head for about three days. Okay. <laughs> and I guess there's, there's, went- a, there's a period of time where you can be somewhat self-indulgent, especially if you're going to, you know, you well, lock there, it down again afterwards. That's okay. You know, it's like it's like he but it, but this is also his character you know he he yeah. goes deep into whatever he's in and um and and then he uh, then he transforms then it into something into fuel into something beautiful and and so i've i've had the, the great fortune of seeing um some people reach really incredible success and and watch how they metabolize that um, I mean, Davey had incredible success with both the Stanley Parable and with Beginner's Guide, and he's he's working on some really beautiful stuff right now. Um, and I, I uh, he's he's a really humble, creative mind. You know, for him, it's it's all about the work and all about doing good things and and being a a good person to work with. And and the result is there's just no bullshit in the way of the creative process. You know, the the work is not it helps. about yeah. So it, de- it definitely helps when you just be upfront and very clear with your goals and your ex- expectations and yeah and just work to those and everyone understands it's very transparent I think and that I always think helps. There's also I think there's also in like any profession in the independent space there's a we're all every one of us is doing something new and explorative otherwise you wouldn't be drawn to being an independent and so yep. um, there's so, a lot of camaraderie to be found in in working on very different things together you know like yeah understood. Yeah. So cycling back to Sound Self itself and the fact that, as we mentioned, the game is, now that you're listening to this podcast, out. Um, how do you go about pitching that game to consumers and, and media and prospective partners over the journey? Because obviously there's, uh, firstly, you hear about any game that uh, incorporates VR in some way, there's instantly that that barrier when you're trying to communicate it to the stock standard consumer who might be just sitting on the other end of their phone or their, their computer or whatever the case is and being able to understand what the game is there. But there's other layers to it as well. How do you, how do you go about being able to present the game and the concept to people? And do you feel like those that you've, I guess, engaged with over the journey in the lead up to release, they've really been able to get their head around what this is supposed to be? It's taken a long time. So I'll tell you about Sound Self. It, firstly, it, it doesn't actually require VR. We were huge VR proponents back in the early days of development, and still are. We love virtual reality, and yeah. I love virtual reality. Um, but it was—it's important to me, and it's always been important to me to make this experience accessible. And so we've done a lot of work to make it like a an awesome experience, just in two D. You know, like 
if 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 you you just put sound self on now on your screen and it'd be you know one thing but like you you turn off the lights and you you create an environment for yourself you know you do some set and setting you treat this like something sacred and yeah and it, it can be just as powerful on a screen as in virtual reality all you got to do is turn off the That's lights right. and eliminate distractions um but on, on top of you know aside from vr we've had the additional challenge of look sound self isn't like anything else i've ever seen uh for sure yeah coming coming from games or or elsewhere um it is a really unique experience. It's not drawing inspiration from other games. It doesn't look like other games. There's 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 no avatar. There's no. It, it's it, it uses game design. It is a thoroughly thoroughly game designed experience, but it, it it also thoroughly doesn't resemble other games in the in the industry. It's also difficult to talk about because it it gives you access to uh, to numinous experiences, and these experiences by definition don't don't translate into the spoken word um yeah of course it, yeah yeah it gives you an experience of something something profound and something that is you know deep within yourself and it's it's it, yeah it's something that the person on the other end feels as opposed to it's it's more um li- you know the experience dictates the pitch as opposed to your words yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah so it's really just like you gotta you, you just gotta try it you know um and and there's no there's nothing to talk about about sounds. I mean, I could I could you know describe what the first three minutes of the experience is like, and I've I've done a fair amount of that. But um, but really, you just gotta experience. I've I've had um, the good fortune to be able to talk about this experience quite a bit. And um, I gave an EGW talk, uh, so that's an experimental gameplay workshop or experimental yeah. gameplay sessions at at the Game Developers Conference years ago. And um, I I puzzled over it. I was like, I have five minutes in front of you know two thousand of my peers and what do I say do I, with those five minutes? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what do I say? And how do I, how do I actually convey the, what this is, this thing that can't really be conveyed. And, and so what I decided to do instead was I, um, uh, this was fun. This is probably the most fun talk I've ever done. Um, oh, good. I just, yeah, I just went up with a little loop machine and I, I started talking about sound self in some very dry technical detail. And, then looped myself so there was this really dry language on loop repeating and then turned down the lights and had this hypnotic visual going behind me and continued to just talk nonsense but uh, but using all of the the hypnosis techniques that sound self uses in gameplay i was using those same some of those same techniques in in your in presentation. The presentation and then after 5 minutes just ended and i'd said virtually nothing of significance <laughs> but, but it, it it earned a standing ovation um, which I'm, which is awesome. <laughs> which was, it was fun. It was so much fun. Um, At which point did you say, "Oh yeah," and also I'm making a game, just so you're aware. <laughs> yeah. By the way, this is this is a video game, and, and you should you should go check it out, please. Um, uh, so, uh, really, it's just you got to try it. But uh, we've done. It's been fun. It's been a fun piece to market for exactly those reasons. Um, like the teaser trailer. Um, for yep. those of you who haven't seen, it's a virtual reality focused teaser. You don't need virtual reality. It just has a person in a VR headset. But uh, uh, that is uh, sort of an attempt to uh, to do the same kind of thing as as I did with the EGW talk. It, it's not the teaser doesn't tell you anything about the game, but it does it does evoke some of the similar qualities uh, as the game does in but using the medium of a teaser trailer. And um, so was the the success of that EGW presentation something that really I guess inspired the the way you approached that trailer? Yes, absolutely, yeah. and and it has been something we've been trying to capture since. It's it's probably the most effective communication thing we've done for Sound Self, and and so so many so many uh, so much of our communication efforts at, since then have been um, trying to have some of the same approach. Um, oh, good to hear. Yeah, so I'll give you an example of, of one of the things. Yeah, please. When it comes to, uh, like, I have a. A graphics designer that worked on SoundSelf and uh, has been doing all of our our marketing work. His name's Topher Sipes, and he's he's a really brilliant artist in his own right. And um, for years, you know, we'd go back and forth on like, what does the storefront design for this experience look like? What is this like? How do you communicate something that can't really be communicated? And what he came up with, which I love, is this um, this graphic of uh, it's like a mystery school style graphic where almost like you're 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 it's it's almost like it's showing a technique for 
for reaching an elevated state of consciousness or something. And it's, yeah. it's a very evocative set of images, but it, it's definitely been really challenging to communicate this experience to people because, because it is A, so new, and B, fundamentally at the core of the experience is something that cannot be explained or described. Yes. Yeah, that, I mean, I'd imagine there's a great number of challenges that you've had to overcome just in that presentation, that pitching side of it, but... When, when that teaser did come out, and obviously I didn't have the, the context of your EGW presentation when I first saw it, however many months ago that was now, um, I was really quite quite struck by what I saw. And at, at the same time, there was a lot of, what did I see? And having to really yeah. dive... Uh, what That's exactly what it feels like after you play Sound Self. It's like- which means that... And it's kind of demonstrated everything it needed to demonstrate via the trailer so it's, it's really quite it's really quite interesting and I, I guess getting that added context that you provided me has been really helpful as well but at the same time the way I responded is clearly also still the way I was supposed to respond which is it's this weird loop I think going got in my head right now which is exactly what you want me to be experiencing yeah or, yeah. or the or the player mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and 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 hopefully you feel inspired to go try it and and learn about 100%. it and it, and it goes beyond just this game. For me, it goes into, you know, what is your relationship with technology? And, and if you have an experience with a video game or with any technology that surprises you and doesn't, doesn't obey your kind of unconscious paradigm of how you currently relate to technology, can that have a further impact on how you relate to the, the, the technium as a whole? Um, you know, can it open your eyes to a, the possibilities of a different relationship with the technology? And for the technologists out there and the game designers, can it open your your mind to the possibilities of making making different kinds of games that instead of doing those cortisol spikes and what have you that we talked about and focusing the person's attention, you know, doing making more expansive experiences? I, yeah, we, I think, we diversify a portfolio, like right, a catalog, right. substantially. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think I think every medium on Earth and every th- discipline on Earth has uh, has within its field certain um, certain a certain invisible paradigm, um, and I think I think a lot of our fields share uh, that paradigm. You know, there's kind of a reductionist attitude, and and a there's not a the, I think the thing that's missing it's missing from games but it's also missing from architecture and missing from literature and missing from um uh I, you know the way people run businesses is is a a, a reverence for mystery that's the thing that yep. that's the that's the ingredient i would love to inspire people to like look you can you can design into everything you're doing something that makes room for reverence it's really yeah, that's no, really quite interesting, and uh, it's it's something I'm. Well, the game is so close, and again, I I keep it's this weird time thing in my head. By the time you are listening to this audience, the game is out. It's one that I'm really quite keen to experience and and understand on a deeper level than what I currently do, and and kind of try and connect a lot of the dots that we've discussed today. Yeah, I'd love now, to just hear after our conversation. I'd love to hear your your experience of it. Absolutely, no, I'm, I'll be very keen to give you that sort of feedback if that's if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, now, before we before we wind things down and also cycle a little bit back into you and your career and some of the bigger picture stuff, um, we should probably talk about it. So, Sound Self itself, the game is out now as of when you're listening to this. Uh, but for those who might be keen on picking it up, where would they be best to do so? What platforms available, etc., etc.? You just go to Steam. Uh, or if you're using uh, an Oculus Rift or an Oculus Quest, you can go to uh, the Oculus Store. It'll work with Quest with a Quest Link cable. And um, with Steam, it'll work on a VR headset or just with your screen. But really, best way is Steam. You just look up SoundSelf on Steam, or you can go to our website, which is www.soundself.com. And I could spell that out. It's S-O-U-N-D-S-E-L-F. And I'll make sure the links are in the comments as well. So and you'll be, be able sure to, to see that, that teaser trailer we were talking about on the, on the Steam page. Yeah, if you've not caught up with it to this point, please be sure to be sure to go find it because it's, yeah. it's really intriguing and especially and you know, I guess consolidated a few of my my thoughts beforehand it, it's actually really quite representative of what we're what we're in for here so yeah I um, think by the time go and check it out. this goes out uh, we'll have probably two trailers up there and the teaser trailer is um, the one with the VR headset and uh, the other trailer the other trailer is a little more straightforward okay good 
Now, as we as we start to wind things down, we'll cycle back into you a little bit. Um, who inspires you in this industry? Who's who's? Is there anyone out there in particular that you still look up to? And obviously, we've mentioned a few individuals already. But yeah, is there anyone yeah. out there that you really try to model maybe your approach to design on, rather than necessarily some of the ideas that you come up with, but how you you know manage you your know, time? How how do you develop? You know, what what are, is there anyone out there that you really look up to? I guess in some ways, in particular. Yeah, there's a lot of people, um, but most of the people who've really inspired me are. Uh, I'd say not in the game industry. There's there's other other. Oh games. great. So, uh, Rich Lamartian, who is a uh, a game designer and a really brilliant mind, he said in a in one of his GDC talks that look, it's essential to take, you know, take inspiration from other video games certainly, but it is essential to take inspiration from other places other than video games. And yeah, and that that's been that's been a huge influence to me, and that's also why. M- the people who most inspire me right now are are probably not in games. Um, so anyone in particular that's outside of the industry that you that springs yeah, to mind? You know, I'm really uh, so one of my a longtime friend of mine and um, compatriot in the world of of consciousness hacking is a man named Mikey Seagal, and he's a technologist and uh, he was a robotics engineer for a long time, and then he he turned his mind towards engineering. Uh, engineering uh, state shift uh, basically engineering enlightenment um, so he's a really 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 interesting character and a dear friend of mine and, and I'm always inspired by uh, his thoughts and also the way he approaches his life you know like right now he's on sabbatical so yeah. uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna hear much of anything from him because For he's a intentionally while. taking like a year off to stop making things and just meditate um, oh good yeah yeah uh, I would love to do something like that, but probably not for a little while. Uh, let's see. Other people who really inspire me. <sighs> There's a lot of entrepreneurs who inspire me. Uh, yeah, mentor, I'm sure. Yeah, my mentor, Mike Wilson, who was the um, founder of Devolver. He's a big, big, big inspiration to me. And he, you know, he turned his company is a big part of the reason that independent games took off the way they did, you know? Absolutely. No long history there. Yeah. Devolver made a giant economic engine to support the independent game development world and to do so in a way that was really fair to developers and my own company Andromeda entertainment, which is a publishing company for transformative experiences. We've taken, we've learned a lot from him and from, from Devolver. Um, And I'm very grateful to have him more or less on speed dial. Um, does help <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> just <laughs> tell him the ways i'm fucking up and he he tells me it's okay how you can how you can undo that yeah 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 or just like nope you're fucked <laughs> but <it's cool. laughs> i still love you um, uh, so what about some of the challenges that you've overcome through your time in the industry so far have there been any particularly large ones that you've kind of really grappled with or struggled with over the over the time whether it's working yeah. on sense off or even anything beforehand you know the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is uh um, it's just cultural stuff, you know. It's like, um, uh, I guess having a uh, this is. Let me see if I can find something a little a little more of a direct answer. Um, firstly, there's the challenge of of just maintaining attention on on a project yeah. for so long. It's hard. It takes a lot of discipline, and there's this like soft, gooey. Uh, relationship between discipline and inspiration and community and all of those things to keep the gears rolling like like sound self has had long periods of time where its frame rate was 12 frames per second or or it was just not working for people the way it used to and and like just imagine what that's like to be giving your life to something and then for a year or two it doesn't work we had this was horrible we had a bug in sound self that was that took literally years to find where it would just occasionally, and this is for a game that's trying to give you, you know, a lot of relaxation and rest. And, um, and I think I can see where this is going, going. <laughs> right, right. So there was this bug that would just make it spontaneously scream in your ear for about five oh. seconds. Right. So you're, you're in this out of nowhere after an, un- who knows how long you've been meditating in it for like 10, 20 minutes. And then suddenly it starts screaming in your ear. And it was just like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, <laughs> That was demoralizing. Um, I, I can understand, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the, the, 
the game scene's been through a lot. Um, and I think especially I have a lot of friends who are more in the public eye and those people have particularly gone through a lot and it can be, um, it can be, um, you know, emotionally trying to, to both go through things personally, but also like go through things together as a community. Um, yes. So, um, and on the flip uh, side, what about some of the highlights? What about oh. what are some of the, some of those better moments? And I assume probably overcoming that bug would have been right right up there good. with some of the best bits. That was good. <laughs> um, that was a good. Uh, yeah, every time I quash a bug that's been around SoundSoft for a long time, it's like okay, today's a good day. Fist um, pump and yeah, uh, you know, just like when I first started getting to know the independent game community, and which has changed by the way. There's a whole new generation of independent game developers, most of whom I don't know. Um, because, oh, it's it's changing every minute. It's oh it's, yeah incredibly fast and eight years is a lifetime in in yep. the game industry so um uh yeah we're we're my people are old school now um but getting to know those folks you know like going to indiecade and these game festivals and getting to know people like rami ismail who's um, a major major huge major, figure yeah yeah huge and such a and they're they're almost all almost all of these people are so compassionate and kind and generous you know i think there there was just some magic in the beginning of in in the independent game scene you know um circa 2012 2013 that everyone just wanted to help each other and and support one another and there was such a collaborative environment i'm sure it's still like that to some degree now i just don't know most of those people anymore and so yeah. I did. I was the curator of the uh, of the Indiecade uh, night games party for uh, three years, and uh, or maybe four years. I think three years. No, four years. And um, the uh, you know that was th- to give back because you know, I got so much from that community, from the independent games community. And then, then to take a few months every year to kind of tithe my energy towards creating a party just to celebrate cool fun things together was it's um, awesome achievements yeah yeah and that felt so good and it felt it just felt so good to give back to my community like that and and so oh, indicate has been a just a, an, important an important part institution for me would you say that's awesome yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry no i think we basically said the same thing there uh so last question it's a it's a curly one i don't know if you've caught up with any of the episodes previously so i don't know whether you know this is coming or not uh but if there's any one game that's ever existed you can retroactively add your name into the credits Ooh. in whatever capacity, whether that's held, that can even be just simply Ooh. special thanks if that's what you want. But at any in any capacity, if there's any one game that's ever existed, you could retroactively add your name <laughs> into the credits. So just make yourself that little bit more influential, oh. I guess. Uh, what would Man. it be? Oh, Anything that springs to mind? The first thing that comes up for me, and this is a, a little on the vulnerable side, would be um, uh, Hohokam. Cause I was, oh, yeah, okay. I, I was working on that game for a little bit, and then uh, and then they fired me because I wasn't doing a very good job. And, oh, uh, right. So I <laughs> so I have uh, a little bit of regret there. Um, but uh, getting a little broader, any game. And again, in any capacity as well. So maybe there's just one particular aspect of a game that otherwise is maybe not all that impressive in your eyes, mm. but that one aspect was awesome and you'd love to be recognized for that, I guess. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I'll, 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 let me re- reframe this a little bit and just I'll, I'll say the games that have inspired me and for the reasons why. Um, all of David Kanaga's work on, especially in Proteus, yeah the sound design of proteus was amazing um everything the game everything which eduardo ortiz I oh yeah that one yeah he did the sound design for everything and that game is oh my god what an achievement what a beautiful achievement that game is um you know again doing something really different and succeeding succeeding uh, when they got i was in the studio when because we all worked together and i was in the studio when they the day they got the uh approval to use alan watts's uh recordings for that game and it was a it was a very happy day for all of us because it, it just makes that game um, that's awesome so um yeah you know put me in the credits next to eduardo on that one um some great choices yeah i want to find one more i want to see if i can find something a little bit more mainstream oh, okay you know what 
No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I won't leave your, your audience waiting. Oh, may maybe, maybe we'll hear about that at some other point then. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, Robin, as we wrap things up for today, uh, if anyone wants to follow your movements a little bit, learn a bit more about the game, interact with you in any various ways, uh, where would they be best to go? You could uh, check out our Facebook. We're SoundSelf on Facebook and uh, Twitter. It's SoundSelf on Twitter. And me, my personal handle on Twitter is Video Dreaming, V-I-D-E-O-D-R-E-A-M-I-N-G. Um, Brilliant. But I, I try to... We're going to see because with the coronavirus thing going on, we're all uh, migrating more and more towards the digital world. And I've mi mostly migrated away from the digital world, ironically, you know, because uh, as a technologist, it's... it's you spend uh, a lot of time in front of it as it is. Yeah, yeah, and I, I find it really just important to, you know, I live in a cabin and I like to have be barefoot on the grass, but uh, I might be online in, in those capacities more than usual. Oh, well, I mean, there's there's good reason for that. The game is the game is out. Yes, so and I'm be almost lots, certainly going to be just so. like talking and twittering more than than usual, and uh, and you, and you can go to soundself.com and uh, and just you know don't be shy, send an email. Um, if there's a there's an email field in on uh, the SoundSelf website. That's fantastic. Robin, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, sharing your experiences and your journey and so much insight into the the process behind SoundSelf and many of your works up until that point as well. It's It's been really enlightening. Uh, it's, it's really helped consolidate my understanding of the game as well. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to playing it yesterday. Um, <laughs> But thank I'm you looking very, forward very much to for releasing that. it yesterday. Yes. Uh, thank you very, very much for giving me your time. Yeah, thank you, Paul. It's been good talking. You know what? I've got one little bit of candy oh, for your listeners for if they want it. Um, hey, I, go for it. By the time this comes out, we will have just put out a manifesto for these kinds of game experiences. So if you want to be part of that conversation, just look up uh, the Technodelic Manifesto. Perfect. One little nugget for you there, so go check that out as well. And again, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Robin's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.